too, uh, children can go. Miss Leslie, if you'd like, for Children's Church this morning. And uh, we're so glad that you're here. And uh, it's beautiful uh, Lord's Day. And uh, have so much to uh, be thankful for. And uh, you know, that uh, little chorus, give thanks. You know, um, we are, that's what it's about. And we have so much uh, to be thankful for. And one of the things that I am very thankful for uh, is a wonderful uh, church family that, uh, you know, uh, is there to support us and uh, that we are there for one another. And that's what the church is supposed to be. Uh, When one um, has a heartache, uh, you know, we all uh, have a heartache. And we take uh, that when one has a, a victory or a joy, why we all share in that uh, as well. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to look at the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians this morning. And uh, Paul uh, wrote this letter. Uh, to the city at Corinth, and Paul actually in Acts chapter 18 started this church. Paul was a a great uh, missionary and church planner, Um, and this was one of the places. In fact, Paul uh, spent a great deal of time in Corinth, and he was very concerned uh, about this church, uh, partly because he founded it, and partly because he knew the people, and he loved them. Uh, just like we know each other uh, in, in the church, if you've been around even just for a little while, uh, hopefully you've known, gotten to know some people and you love them and know that you're loved. Uh, and those of you that have been around for a long time, you know that. Uh, and uh, by the way, that's a, a good segue to, remember, to remind us as Easter is approaching, this is free information, so I'm pausing the sermon and just uh, here. But, uh, so this is just freebies. Uh, you know, we're about four weeks away from Easter, and uh, we're looking forward to that, you know, the high point of the Christian year, and, um, you know, we are the church because of the work of Jesus Christ, and because of the fact that he didn't just give his life on the cross of Calvary, but he rose again. Uh, he didn't stay dead, he's alive, and because he's alive, the scripture says that we're alive. And I tell you that you know people all around you, maybe in your family, in your neighborhood, your workplaces, uh, that they don't have that assurance. And they're looking and they're, they're empty. This would be a great opportunity for you to say, you know what, this Easter, why don't you come with me to church? Um, and invite somebody to come. People are more open to an opportunity Uh, this time of year than they are any other time. So invite somebody. Begin praying now. Say, Lord, who would you have me to invite? Um, And I'm not going to ask you to invite 100 people, although if you want to, that's fine. I just want you to invite one. Now, you can do that. Uh, I think you probably could invite 100. Uh, But I know for certain you can invite one. And so would you pray and ask the Lord, Lord, who would you have me to invite? to join me at church for Easter. And begin praying and begin looking for opportunities to invite them to come with you uh, 
with the Easter services because though they're looking for something that's missing in their life, what's missing is Jesus. Uh, And it's not coming to church that will make them have a relationship with Jesus. But hopefully if they'll join you for church, they'll hear about Jesus, I promise you that. And they'll present, be presented the gospel and given an opportunity to respond. Uh, if they're not here, they're not going to have that opportunity. So you help us get them here uh, and bring them. So back to the sermon, uh, called together. So let's take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything you by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, uh, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul here uses a term three times um, here in just these nine verses. And when Mr. Romines uh, says something three times in his history class, what's he trying to tell his uh, brain-dead 10th and 11th graders? Wake up. Hey, this is pretty important. You better pay attention. And when the Bible tells us something over and over and over again, especially three times in nine verses, it's not by accident. Paul's trying to to make a a point. And the term that he uses three times is called. Paul wrote this letter uh, to the church at Corinth to correct some pretty major errors that were going on in the church. Corinth was a pagan, pagan city. It was also a very wealthy city. It was the center, of, uh, it was at a crossroads of business trade, and uh, so had all that, that, the trappings that went along with it. And Paul spent a lot of blood, sweat, and tears planting this, planting this church. And then moved on, starts more churches. And he heard that some issues rose within the church, and so he wrote this letter uh, to address some of those concerns. But before he addressed any of them, he wanted to remind them that they were called together. There are certain truths that it doesn't matter, you know, how old you are or how young you are, what language you speak, what color of your skin is, what the name on your church, you know, if it's a Christian church, we're called together. We're part of the body of Christ. 
were called together. And that's not by accident. And Paul wants us to understand that it's not there by our decision. Although we have a part to play in it. We're called because God called us. And we answer. That's our part in the playing. We didn't get to choose if God called us or not. We do get to choose if we answer or not. And so Paul wants the church at Corinth to understand that regardless of whatever nonsense is going on in the church, and as we'll see as we go through uh, this letter, there was some crazy stuff going on. And there were some deep divisions. But Paul wants us to understand from the very get-go that understanding that we are called together and we are part of one another, when we realize that, the things that we disagree on, we can find some disagreement. And we can still love one another. And we can still work together. Because what binds us together is not our preferences or getting our way, but what binds us together is Christ. You look at not just the church at Corinth, but you think about times when you and your family have had difficulties or there's been difficulties in this church or in other churches that you've heard about because anywhere there's people, there's problems. And there's disagreements. And here's something I'm going to tell you. How you respond to those disagreements and problems says more about your relationship with God than anything else. Because if you're living and your relationship with Christ is growing and nurturing, and you can overlook some things. And what you're called to do is you're called to love. You're called to love your brothers and sisters. Jesus not only, called, by the way, calls us to love our brothers and sisters, he calls us to love our enemies too. But we're especially supposed to love those that are of the household of faith. And so when you love somebody, you can disagree with them. It's hard for you to imagine, I know, but Leslie and I have some disagreements sometimes. You won't be surprised to learn that when we have an argument, I'm usually the one that loses. And I, I, all us fellas, we know exactly how that goes. But you know what? We can have differences of opinion, but when we disagree, when Leslie doesn't see things the right way my way, I don't stop loving her. I still love her. And in fact, because I love her, we work things out. We don't throw hissy fits and, you know, uh, take butcher knives to each other or anything like that. Because we love one another, we want what's best for the other person. And there's a lot of church problems that would be solved simply by us remembering that we are called together by Christ and we're called to love one another. Church member, you really are hurting yourself. And so Paul says and remembers that we're called, and he mentions three things. No surprise, it seems like most every passage I can find three things. Um, it just seems like that's how it, how it works out. And my thing just quit. We've had technology problems all morning this morning. So, Brother Bill, go to the next slide. And uh, 
First thing he says, you are called to life. That's really loud, Brother Ron. Feedback. So he says, first, you are called to life. He said, you not only, and by the way, the scripture says that life is a gift from God. The fact that you're here and breathing, you are here because God gave breath to you. But Paul says, you know what? I am thankful, not just that you're here, not just that I know you, but that you have new life in Christ. And so he says, listen, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Who are those? It's not those that, you know, just come off the street. It's not those that don't know Jesus. It's those that know Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are called to be saints. You are called to holiness. That word sanctification simply means to be set apart for a particular purpose, for, uh, and in particular, usually a religious purpose. So Paul says, listen, you have been given this gift of life from God. He said, you're supposed to do something with it. If you're called, that means there's a calling. There's something you're supposed to do. And Paul reminds us that we are to live like believers. We're not to live like the world does. We're not to believe like the world does. Listen, this world has its own set of values and morals. And I tell you that most of the time, this world's morals and values are the exact opposite of God's morals and values. This world says, hey, the one with the most stuff wins. The world says it doesn't matter who you have to lie to, cheat, or step on to get ahead as long as you're okay. That's all that matters. That's what this world says. God says, listen, the, if the way to greatness is to lower yourself, is to serve. Those are opposites. And so Paul, right from the get-go, frames what he's going to argue later on in this letter by reminding the people. And so we've got to understand, First Free Will Baptist Church of Pearl, that God has called you to live a certain way. And how he has called you to live is not like this world, but he has called you to be set apart, to be different, to be saints. And can I tell you something I know about every one of you? You ain't a saint. And neither am I. I also want you to know you're probably not as bad as you think you are. We are not saints. In the Bible, when it talks about us being saints, it's not talking about that we're sinless or that we're perfect. But rather what it's talking about when we are saints, it means that we've been changed and given new life by Jesus Christ. 
And when we have new life in Jesus Christ, it helps us live a different way. We are born into this world under the world system. And we live according to this world, according to the flesh. And when we find new life in Christ, we're no longer tied to that world of flesh anymore. Now we're tied to the, to the world of life and the world of God, the world of the Spirit. And when your life is controlled by the Spirit, you fight and argue differently than this world does. This world, when it fights, when Seth and I are being worldly, he does something dumb, makes me mad, what do I do? Well, if I'm going to be gentle, I just give him a good wallop, break his nose. If I want to be mean, I stab him. I cut him up. That's how the world operates. But how does the church operate? The church operates saying, you know what? Seth really made me mad. He hurt my feelings. So I'm going to pray for him. And I'm going to love him. And I'm still going to call him brother. There's nothing that should separate God's children so much that they cease to exist together. So we fight differently, and we disagree differently. And I'll never hit Seth. Seth and I love each other uh, as brothers in the Lord. Uh, neither of us is going to shank the other or punch the other. Uh, we might rib, you know, rib and good fun one another, but that's the extent of it. Even if we disagree about something, we still love one another. And so the Corinthian church had begun to argue and divide itself so that, listen, people that agreed with me, they sat over here. And people that agreed with somebody else, they sat over here. And between the two did not mix. And that's not godly. And so Paul wants us to understand that we are called to new life in Christ. Notice he said, you don't have just new life on your own. He said, no. You are called by Christ. But then he does something, and our English kind of messes it up. At the end of that verse, he say, notice what he says. He said, both ours and yours. In other words, the point that Paul is making is quite intentional. And he says, we are the same. We're part of the same family. We're not on opposite teams. We're on the same team. And I'm thankful we, at least right now, in our church, don't seem to have the problem of uh, not realizing we're all on the same team. But I've been in some churches that do have that problem. And it's never good. And so when Paul is calling us to remember that we are called on the same team. And then secondly, not only are we called to life, but we're called to grace. 
How do, when Seth and I will keep using that analogy when we have disagreements, how are we to deal with it? By grace. Because we've received grace. And if you've received grace, you've got to extend it. And so Paul says, it's nothing that you have done that's given you this new life that we've just spent a bunch of time talking about that one little verse. He says, nothing you've done, it's God that's done it. But he said, as God has done that for you, he gives this standard Roman greeting, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I thank God always concerning when I think about you for the grace of God that was given to you. Not just that he saved you, but that he's gifted you, that he's blessed you, and he says again, he's called you. He's called you. And the calling that God has issued to you comes only by grace. You don't deserve it. You get it just simply because. Mercy is, think of mercy this way, is that you're not getting the things that you do deserve. That's mercy. Grace is getting things that you don't deserve. And boy, we could spend through lunchtime today talking about all the way that God has shown us His grace. We understand that all of us have difficulties that come into our life all the time. Our life is not perfect, and our life is not easy. You have difficulties. Especially if you're following God and trying to grow in Him and do what God wants you to, you're going to have difficulties in your life. It's guaranteed. But how you overcome it, and the reason you're able to go on is because of the grace of God. Because God is with you, and when you go through those difficulties, you don't go through them alone. But you find like David did, and he writes about in Psalm 46, he said, God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And so he says, listen, you are called to grace. You need to understand that God has given you these gifts. And the, the word gift is the word keros, which is, the, it means gift. It means grace. They're similar terms, and it has a similar idea. And so God said, hey, listen, hang in there. Understand that you have every grace that you need to live a life that honors God. Well, there's two things we need to take away from that. First is this, that we need to remember God's grace, that it's God's grace we are what we are. For every one of us before God's grace was blind, and lost. But as John Newton says, you know what? I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. 
And may we never get over God's amazing grace and may it never stop being amazing to us. We always ought to be amazed that the God of heaven knows all the good, the bad, and the ugly about us and yet he calls us anyway. He doesn't say, oh, oh, no. He's got too many X's on his account. Got to skip over him. He doesn't do that. He gives grace. But now Paul reminds us in Romans that he asked the the question this way. He said, what shall we say to this then? Shall we sin all the more so that we could have even more grace? What's his answer? He says, absolutely not. God forbid, he says. Because when we have that attitude, it cheapens grace. And grace was not cheap. Grace cost a great deal. And so we have to remember that. That, listen, we are called by God's grace. It is only by God's grace that we are who we are. But then here's where the other side of that flips in. If I've received God's grace, that means, again, I've got to share it. I've got to give it. That's hard to do sometimes, but it's necessary. Though Paul later on will see in this letter, he gets pretty pointed at particular times and gets pretty direct with some individuals that are causing problems in the church and names them by name. But he does it not out of hate and not out of spite, but out of love and genuine concern. And so he says we need to understand the the grace of God And understand that God is the one that enables us to do any good. God is the one and God's grace is the one that helps us to accomplish anything meaningful and worthwhile in this life that will have eternal impact comes by the grace of God, not by our worth and not by our effort alone but by God's grace. And so we need to remember we are nothing save God's grace. Without God's grace, we are in big, big trouble. And so if we understand that without God's grace, we're in big, big trouble, that moves us then closer to God and closer to one another. It causes us to remember we're called, not by our choice, but by God's choosing, by our obedience. We responded to that call, but the call didn't come from us. It came from God. And so when God gives us and instills within us grace, God intends for us to take that grace that he's put in us 
and move it out. But here's the thing, when we move out God's grace, more pops in. And in fact, even more pops in than we gave out. And so Paul is setting up again, reminding the church that, hey, you are called. You're called to life. You're called to understand that you are not what you used to be and you should not operate the way that you used to operate. You should not look like this world. And then he takes it a step further, and he says, you also need to understand that you are called to grace. That you are saved by grace, you are kept by grace, and that grace is through faith. Paul's going to say in Ephesians chapter 2, that you are called to grace. And here's where it hits home. And this is how he wraps up this introduction to this letter. He reminds us you are called together. You are called to fellowship. Fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, and it simply means togetherness. It means that you are a part of one another. Not that you just associate with one another. See, uh, Steve and Alice sitting here today, and we're so thankful that they're here. They are not the same. Thankfully, we could only handle one Steve, amen? I know Alice could only handle one of them. Though they are two, what does Scripture say about a husband and a wife? They are one. Well, obviously, they're two people. You can look at them and see they're different. One's much better looking than the other one. Sorry, Brother Steve. But he agrees. He knows. You can tell they're two distinct individuals. But the idea that Paul wants us to get and understand is to think of ourselves not as two individuals, but as one. that the church, the body of Christ, is to be bound together as one. And the church is not just bound to itself, but Paul's going to teach us here later on in this chapter and in a couple other of his letters, who else is connected to the church body? Christ is the head of the body. He says, well, what, are we Christ? Absolutely not. So what's he talking about? We are part of one another. And if that really is true, then one part of our body, the church, cannot operate independently without impacting every other part of the body. And so Paul wants us to understand, and I'm going to steal my thunder a little bit for later on Paul's letter says hey listen these problems that you you have every single one of them would be solved and I wouldn't have to write this long letter 
if you just get through your thick skull that you are called together. That you are called to new life. You are called to grace. And you are called to fellowship. That you are called to fellowship with one another and with Christ. That you become a part of Him. And boy, there's so much mystery in that we can't fully comprehend it. We don't all of a sudden become many Christs. You know, be sort of deity. No, that's not what Paul's talking about. What Paul's saying is that we become united together as one. And so when... Steve has to make a decision. Steve says, you know what? I sure would like to buy a new boat. And he may. You know, I've got some money. I could go buy this boat from Bass Pro Shop. they got a sale. He may even try to soften Alice up and put the little Bass Pro Shop flyers on her pillow at night. Circle and sprinkle within the conversation. You know what, honey? It sure would be nice if we had a boat we could go fishing together. But you know, as as Brother Steve decides about that boat, he's wise. And so he understands that that decision's not just his alone to make. If he's smart, and I think he is, he, he, he says, honey, what do you think we ought to do about this boat? Because he understands it not just affects him, it affects her too. Why does it affect her? Because they're one. And when we are one and we have that thinking as one, it impacts our thinking. It impacts our thinking to the extent, you know what? If I shank Seth because I'm mad at him, I'm really shanking myself. And I've never been shanked, never been stabbed. I've got to imagine it hurts. I've had surgery, and so I've been cut on, and that hurts. And that's by a doctor that knows what he's doing. So being cut on by somebody that doesn't know what they're doing is probably going to hurt. And so I'm probably not going to shake Seth because I don't want to shake myself. I don't want to hurt myself. Not just out of love and concern for Seth, but it's self-preservation. Because, like it or not, we tend to take care of ourselves, don't we? We look after us. Nobody has to tell us, hey, you got to eat. Hey, you better put some gas in your car if you want to go somewhere. <laughs> because we want to go somewhere, so we're going to make sure there's gas in the car. Nobody has to tell us that. Why? Because we're concerned for ourselves. But we need to come to the place, Paul says, that we understand being concerned about ourselves is just not me as an individual, but me as the body of Christ being one. And boy, that'll change your thinking, and it'll change how you fight and argue and disagree, and certainly how you treat and love one another. There would be a lot less problems in the world if folks thought about this important truth. It would be much better for our world, but it would be much better for the church as well. 
we would remember that we are part of one another. And most importantly, we're part of Christ. And the things that we do and the things that we say, the actions that we take, affect Christ and his testimony. Sadly, friends, there'll be a lot of people in hell spending eternity in torment because the testimony of a child of God was tarnished because of some stupid choice that they made. May we remember. I think it was uh, Gandhi that had made the statement, you know, I could almost become a Christian except for the Christians that I know. What it was saying was, you know what, I could almost believe that malarkey, but I've seen some Christians, and I know some Christians, and it's not true. And Paul is writing to a church that's giving off that message. He says, knock it off! Understand, you are called to live differently. You are called to be changed by grace. You're called to dispense grace and you're to remember that you are one. One with each other and one with Christ. And so, friend, as we wrap up this morning, let me ask you this. Are you one with Christ? Are you one with the body of Christ? I'm not saying do you know peripherally Christ? Or do you peripherally know the church? I'm not even asking you if you have membership in the book of this church. I'm asking you, are you part of the family of God? You see, it matters much more that your name is in the Lamb's book of life than it is in the membership book of First Free Will Baptist Church or any other church. So how's your relationship? How's your fellowship? Maybe God's calling someone here today or someone watching online to start new life. They don't know what new life is. Maybe you're here, you don't know what grace is. Well, that's okay. God says, you know what, I'm calling you, would you answer? And all we have to do, we don't have to understand it, we just have to respond. If God's calling you to accept that free gift today, you can do that. If you're here today, you know what, you've answered that call to salvation. But you know what, if you were honest, the oneness that once was there is not there anymore. And can I tell you, friend, as your pastor and friend, and because I love you, it's not God that's moved. It's you that's moved. But here's the thing, because of God's grace, all you have to do is take that first step back to God and he will pick you up and bring you the rest of the distance, no matter how big that gulf is. It's wonderful. He will make you one again. Maybe God's just, this message has just been a reminder to you. Because there are times when it doesn't matter how much we know that we're supposed to be part of one another, we're all a family. It never hurts to, because we all have to be told more than once. And we have to be reminded sometimes of God's amazing grace. 
And I'm thankful if that's all this message has done to you is to remind you that God has given you his amazing grace. And you better be amazed at it because it is amazing. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us. Lord, as we've talked about calling this morning, the first thing that we need to understand is every single human being on earth is called to salvation. That you call out to every individual and you hearken to them and give them an opportunity to come to me. And Lord, if there's one here in this audience or online that's never trusted in you, they've never asked you, they've never received that free gift by faith, would you help them today to acknowledge their sin, to pray a prayer just maybe like this, that Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I deserve to spend eternity in hell, but I also know that you love me and that you will give me grace, and I received that gift this morning. Lord, maybe there's one of your children here today that, Lord, they're saved, but they've not been living as one. They've had a double life. They've lived for you on Sunday, but when Monday rolls around, there's somebody totally different. And Lord, today you would be calling them to make the decision to stop that double-mindedness and to surrender their life to you. Maybe there's one here today that you're calling into a special place of service or ministry. Would you help them to surrender today and say, Lord, have your will. Not my will, but yours be done. Help us, we pray, to respond however you've asked us to. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be your hands and feet, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation response and If God's calling you today and there's a way you need to answer, you answer the Lord. You respond to how God is calling you because God is calling all of us. The question is, have we picked up the phone and answer? Let's sing Seth together. Give thanks.